In the same month that Wellspring started, I got a call from an editor at the University of Georgia. They said they had found my election sermon from the previous year, from the old congregation that I'd been serving, the Sunday after Election Day, 2004, and that they were so impressed with it that they wanted to put it in a book collection. They weren't going to pay me anything, (laughs) but just getting published was pretty cool, and it was in this. The reference shelf. You probably have to go to a library somewhere (laughs) dustily bound to find it. Representative American Speeches, 2004-2005. I have a representative American speech in that year, those two years. See Condi Rice on the cover. Oh, yeah, just wait, just wait. (laughs) You show the table of contents, I can show you who else I was around. Now, I don't know if all you can see that. Yes, Barack Obama. Robert Reich, Peter Sprigg, whose views on LGBT equality, I cannot find more objectionable, but he is very well known. (laughs) Evan Wolfson, an advocate for true equality is in there. You go on and on and on. You see the, uh, don't see the full table of contents here, but the head of the ACLU is in there. Condi Rice is in there. The former President Bush is in there. Hillary Clinton is in there. And then you see my name, and I just go, which of these things is not like the other? (laughs) It's humbling. But they included my election sermon, my election message from the previous congregation that I served, because it was called Peel Back the Label. And that first section, so those of you who can see, is called A Divided America. And I guess they liked my words on that Sunday after the Bush-Kerry race. My words about maybe hoping to heal some of the chasms that were in this country. Peeling back the label was the name of my message. My argument went basically like this, which is that we are all individually and collectively so much more than either just blue or red, liberal or conservative. So much more than just broad demographic swaths that could be targeted and be assumed to vote in one direction. If we could fall back in love, I said, in some ways with the complexity of our inner lives and the complexity of our neighbors' inner lives, then perhaps we could recapture that old and seemingly forgotten American motto, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. That was my hope. And so here we stand today, eight years later, An interminable election is winding down, blue or red, right or wrong. And I want to say to 2004, Ken, wonderful aspirations, amazing aspirations. But dude, as a prognosticator, you suck. We haven't healed much in the last eight years, and indeed, I believe things in terms of our divisions, our lack of understanding of each other, our inability to disagree without immediately becoming so many of us disagreeable to and with each other, that has not gotten any better. It has gotten worse, I think. So at the end of this interminable election, 
in which, I don't know about you, I'm just so freaking tired and I want it to end. Can I get a show of hands on that? All right, maybe some of you really want it to go on. I look. <laughs> you have more strength than I do, I guess, then. Or more appetite for something, I guess. So I'm not going to be so grand in my aspirations today. I don't know if I'm going to say anything that will help to heal America, as I tried to say back in 2004. So maybe today I'm just trying to convince myself as much as I'm trying to share anything with you that there is a way forward, a more rational way, a more kind way, a more heartful and mindful way from this place that we now find ourselves as a political society. I start this journey by going back. I start this journey that may lead us forward by going back to an understanding of election that has really nothing at all to do with voting in a democratic society. An older meaning of the word election. Perhaps some of you came of age in spiritual communities, in churches, that talked about election in these terms. Chosen. Unchosen. Saved. Or damned. Sheep. Or goats. There is a long, not always proud, but a long history of the doctrine of election in spiritual communities. And the universalist tradition has a very different answer from saved versus damned, from chosen versus not chosen. The universalist doctrine or faith or simply way of being says this, we are all already chosen. Whatever we may believe about life after this one, and on this account, I call myself a hopeful agnostic. I do not know exactly what the life after this one will be because I have not been there. That's what the word agnostic means. It simply means without knowledge. I cannot speak with that with certainty, and I don't believe anyone else can. But I have had enough transcendent experiences that I believe this life is not everything that there is. But the more important question to a universalist is not, is there life after death, but is there truly life before death for all of us? Universalism at its base is a core conviction that tribalism is wrong. I'm not talking tribes are wrong. We all belong to various tribes. Some of us who are football fans are going to don our colors this afternoon and root for various kinds of tribes. That's all right. No, tribalism says this. Tribalism says that the only thing that matters in the world is the tribe that you particularly belong to, Democrat or Republican, Giants fan or Eagles fan, Northeasterner or Southerner. For those of you who are fans, as I am, of the show The Walking Dead, that zombie drama that manages to be both incredibly gory and gross and also really profound, The Walking Dead is a picture of what happens when society believes in tribalism. When there is no future, as one character says to another in this past week's episode, 
do whatever you can to keep this group safe. This group. Forget all the other groups. It says something about our society that The Walking Dead is the most popular cable show that ever was. It says something perhaps about the ways in which we view others who may disagree with us as perhaps, I don't know, zombies? Brain dead? Want to eat us? This apocalyptic vision is hopeless. This is why I'm a universalist. Because it gives me the deepest hope that I believe a human being can have. That we all ultimately belong. And no one is left out. And no one should be left out. When I have conversations, sometimes even arguments with people with whom I disagree theologically, and they always are respectful, but the disagreements are there and they are real. Sometimes it comes around to when we've tried all the different ways of convincing each other and also tried listening to each other, and it's clear neither of us is going to budge. And eventually I will receive this sentiment. Eventually you'll learn when you're in hell. (laughs) Anyone ever said that to you? I mean, that's the ultimate non-universalist argument. Someday you'll learn. I don't want you to go to hell. That's why they're being so vehement. And at that point, I recognize the universalists have a different, really different answer to this question. Whatever we agree about, however we are reunited with the source of life in whatever form that comes about, here or beyond this life. The non-universalist says that they will be proven right by the punishment of those with whom they disagree. The universalist says that we will be proven right by the ultimate unity with those with whom we oppose now. That is a burden, I do have to say, as a universalist, because there isn't any place that we get to say, aha, I told you so. (laughs) We only get to say in whatever form, welcome home, brother. Welcome home, sister. That's why I believe this is the source of greatest hope. Many of us have gotten used to this image or something like it over the last few days. The cone of uncertainty. Say it with me. The cone of uncertainty. Really feel it. The cone of uncertainty. Oh, don't you feel, oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This storm or any other storm, real storms, metaphorical storms, all the storms that visit us, The universalist answer to the cone of uncertainty is that it's not uncertain because the cone includes us all. That is the core of the universalist message. I mean, I know, I will see, I put this on Facebook, some of you liked it, I'm going to share it with you again here. I know, I am certain that when this storm hits and it takes certain paths and it causes certain tragic destruction in some places, that some people, right-wing and left-wing, will start these memes, will start these images that say God or Mother Nature or the idol of your choosing has chosen to punish or share their disapproval with the way a certain group of people are going to vote. It happens all the time. 
It happens with names like Robertson and Falwell. It happened with a lot of my fellow progressive friends during the Republican National Convention. And Tampa was threatened with a storm. And, ooh, <laughs> karma. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. And you know what? I thought, okay, maybe that's a joke. Maybe they don't really keep, they don't mean it. But I kept seeing it, I kept seeing it, I kept seeing it. People mean it. <laughs> and that's not universalism. I also believe what Anne Lamott said, which is that if we worship a God that ends up hating all the same people that we hate, it's pretty much certain that we've created God in our own image. And the word for that is idolatry. I try to remember that all of us exist in the cone of uncertainty, especially in this brutal election season, when I know I have shared information in a disagreeable way. I try to remember that all of us exist in the cone of uncertainty, and all of us are bound under that same sacred canopy to let more of the ultimate facts of life shape the intimate facts of life and how we work with each other and how we deal with each other because the ultimate implications of universalist election is that all of us are chosen. And in a most profound sense, there's not much that we can do to change that. We're all born. We all die. We all come from the same source. We all, in whatever form it is, head back to it. Parker Palmer is a theologian and a teacher and a student of democracy who I value tremendously. And I find him to be refreshingly, savingly naive right now. He's got an amazing book called Healing the Heart of Democracy that I'm going to quote from you right now. And it's the kind of naivete that I need right now to find a good message to take us beyond this brutal election season. Parker Palmer said, for those of us who want to see democracy survive and thrive, and we are legion, the heart is where everything begins. The heart, that grounded place within each of us where we can overcome our fear of the other, rediscover that we are members of one another, and embrace, embrace the conflicts that threaten democracy, embrace these conflicts as openings for new life for us and for our nation. Now, embracing these conflicts does not mean that we excuse bad behavior or unjust laws or people who behave oppressively or cruelly or cause human suffering. It simply means this, that as we disagree, and we must call out from time to time people who cause suffering for other people, it means that simultaneously we do this. We leave our own hearts open to continue to grow and to continue to be able to love. There is only one sign, one symptom, one expression of knowing that you are already chosen, that we as we sit here in this in this congregation of a universalist tradition that we are already chosen, there is only one sign of this our ability to love. Not have affection. Not feel really passionate about something. Passion is cheap these days. Our ability to love well. To continue to vow and aspire to love expansively. It means that whatever the outcome of the election nine days from now, whether you're meh, 
whether you're exultant, whether you're disappointed, whatever the outcome, there is work that goes far beyond this election. There is the work of expansive love that calls us, especially if we call this place our spiritual home, to really take this challenge seriously. To know that in the ultimate sense as universalists, we don't get to say a cosmic I told you so. Ooh, but I want to. <laughs> but that's not our path. This is not who we are promised to be. This expansive love shows itself in how we disagree. And this expansive love most particularly, and this is work beyond this election because it goes on, this work shows itself particularly in our love for people who are left out or left behind or simply just left for dead. People who are forgotten about. Love at its deepest level wants to make what is invisible visible. Love wants to make what is forgotten remembered. Love desires to make what is neglected cared for. And so beyond this election, we will keep on singing here, ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, until the laws out there reflect the same esteem for all loving couples that we have in here. We will keep singing that song in the way that we do until our LGBT brothers and sisters are no longer second-class citizens. We will keep doing that. That is work beyond the election. As Chris talked about earlier, the new relationship that we are forming with Chester County Futures is work beyond the election. And it is a work that allows us to expand our hearts and love more deeply. We've got someone here from Chester County Futures who's going to be available to speak with us after the service today. I invite you to get connected. Raise your hand if you would, Maria. Thank you for being here with us. I want to share with you just a few of the stories. You'll see some faces up here of Chester County Futures. These aren't the kids I'm talking about because they have a right to privacy too, but I want to share some of these stories. I want to tell you about a story that I've heard about a kid named Brian who lives in Oxford Circle who lives with his mom, a single mom. She works three jobs to try and keep a roof over their heads. Before Chester County Futures entered his life, he had poor social skills and poor academic skills, and he seemed destined for a very difficult path. But the mentoring, the tutoring, the time invested in him brought about academic improvement. It brought about a sense that he did not have to act out in order to receive attention. Brian is now considering colleges and is taking a look at a, law, a career in law enforcement. There's a young girl named Christina from Phoenixville who is homeless and living in a car with her younger sister and mother and grandmother. She was nominated for Chester County Futures by a caring teacher. Eventually, the family found a place to a shelter and then to low-income housing. And Christina has gotten to a point where she is improving academically. 
and is learning video schools and a sense of pride of what it comes to have positive reinforcement for her skills and her gifts. And she's doing something now that Christina never thought she'd be doing years ago, which is going on college tours because of Chester County Futures. And there's one story that I want to share with you entirely and just read it to you because it really got in my heart. It got in my heart and it calls on me to love more expansively. It's the story of Alondra. Alondra resides in a small mobile home with her elderly grandparents on the outskirts of Coatesville. Their only means of support is Social Security. She is an extremely shy teenager who felt entirely isolated by her poverty and intimidated and alone in her large high school setting. As a future student, she feels a connection with peers who also live in similar situations of poverty and who also have the same educational goals. Having these experiences in Chester County Futures made high school less scary, less daunting for her and gave her the courage to academically challenge herself throughout the past four years. After graduating from high school in June 2011, Alondra did what she never thought was possible, enrolled in community college where she is now following her dream of becoming a nurse through the after-school programs, the time that Chester County Futures and the volunteers invested in her, she was able to develop a self-confidence she never had before, develop strong literacy skills, and actually practice speaking in front of other people. With Futures encouragement, she was able to have an internship in a hospital setting. After she graduated from high school, she received three scholarships recognizing her excellence and her promise. Upon accepting these, she said, I am still shy, but confident that I can pursue and complete college. Being poor, I couldn't afford a computer or activities that the other students had around me. I thought that nobody cared about me until Chester County Futures. They gave me a laptop and many other good supports. It turned things around for me. I saw that I was valued. She's now in a community college in Harrisburg with a 4.0 GPA and will be transferring to Immaculata to complete her nursing degree. Folks, this is why we picked Chester County Futures. This is why, for all of us, it is about a lot more than just giving our money. I know we're all really busy. I know we have a lot going on. We will always be really busy. And there will always be a lot going on. But we picked Chester County Futures to be our community partner. For them and their great work, but also for us. Because we are universalists. And we believe that love and caring is the only way to move beyond the prison of our ego and the gates of our narrow concern into the larger life of love. So I want to invite you to find out more. I want to invite you to get connected. I'll end with this. John Murray, who 
kind of referred to as the father of universalism in America. A man who lost everything and everyone that he loved before finding his way to these shores. He preached in a time in which Calvinism, the doctrine of election that said some people, most people, are going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. And some people are saved and there's nothing they can do about it. John Murray recognized the despair that that built for people. We heard Terry talk about what it's like to grow up in a tradition like that, the shame and the guilt and the sense of worthlessness that can come from certain theological teachings. John Murray said, do not give the people hell. Give them hope. Do not lead them deeper into their theological despair, but instead teach and preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. That is the universalist message. Hope, not hell. Not theological despair. But kindness and everlasting love. The only way those words make sense to us is if we vow to open our own hearts. May we do that. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of all belonging to each, may we know that we are already elected. May we know that we are already chosen. May we know that we are already accepted and we are already loved. Let's really live as if we believe this. Amen.